Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, we have spent the uh, first six months, uh, Ephesians one through three, and um, now we've kind of turned the, the page here, and we're starting here on Ephesians four. <clears throat> and really, um, Ephesians four, five, and six is now all the practical things of the Christian life, uh, things that are going to really show us how to live out the Christian life. Um, you know, uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 uh, was laying all of the doctrinal uh, things about uh, God's Word. And here in um, Ephesians 4, we now see what God is saying about how we are to live out those truths that we've learned uh, through Ephesians uh, 1 through 3. And we're primarily going to be focusing on uh, verses 1 through 3 here. And it's interesting uh, because God is, is talking here about unity and how important it is to have unity in the Christian life, that we are living out unity, that we have unity um, in our Christian life, because unity is a very big deal to God. It's very big. Um, and it's neat that Paul pretty much spends most of the time talking about unity. And this is the very first thing that he mentions that is necessary for Christians to be living out uh, in their Christian life. Um, I recall a, a very interesting story about a man that was from New York that went to go visit um, his friend. He, he left New York because he wanted to go to the West to start a cattle ranch. And uh, as he's there in the, in, uh, the West there, he decided to, to start a cattle ranch there. And he had his friends come out uh, to come and visit the cattle ranch. And as they came and they're driving up there on the cattle ranch, they see that the name of the cattle ranch is uh, Lazy Y, Susie Q, Flying J, and uh, something W, Ranch. Friends go, boy, that's a weird name for a cattle ranch. So they go up there, and they're driving there, and they meet his friend. They say, boy, this is a weird name for a cattle ranch. So yeah, we, we couldn't really decide what kind of name to call the cattle ranch. I wanted this. My wife wanted that. My sons wanted this. My other son wanted that. And they said, so we just put all the names together. And the guy says, well, where's all your cattle? The guy says, well, none of them survived the branding. You know, we think about that and how important it is to have unity in our Christian faith, that we have unity um, in our lives. And so we have this, this idea here that in the past, there is, in, in Ephesians 1 through 3, there was truth that was given to us, okay? As a believer in Christ, you cannot live without the truth of God. You need truth in your life. That's why it's so important to be under the teaching of God's word, to be under the preaching of God's word, to be diving into God's word, because you need truth in your life. But here in Ephesians 4 through 6, we see now that it's truth that is being lived out. And so you cannot grow without living out God's truth in your life. 
So we need this truth. We need truth in our life. We have to have truth uh, in our life. So let's look at these uh, verses here. Verses, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to see this now, this truth that needs to be lived out uh, in our life. So Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to begin here in uh, verse number 1. Let's take a note here what the Bible has to say about this. Ephesians 4 and uh, verse number 1. Look what he says here. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If there is, if in order for us to be living in unity, in order for us to be having unity in our life, the very first thing that we must learn is to remember the calling to which we've been called. So if we are going to live in, in humility, if we're going to walk in humility, if we're going to be living in unity with each other, we must remember the calling to which we have been called. So Paul says here, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. One of the biggest lies, I believe, that propagates within the church is that I can have a good spiritual life without being committed to God's people. That is a lie. You say, why is that a lie? Because God has called you to be in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's exactly what Paul had been spending all the way from Ephesians 1 through Ephesians 3, talking about the mystery of the gospel, how it's been revealed through what? Through the church. And how he brought Jew and Gentile, two groups who were completely hostile against each other, and he's brought them in unity as one, one new man, is what he says in Ephesians chapter number, number two. And so, in order for us to have unity, we must remember the calling which God has called us to. You see, it was Paul's whole point that he would bring the church together in unity through Jesus Christ. And so for you and me to live separate from the church, we are being disobedient to God's calling upon our lives. And so God has called us into unity. He's brought us together as one. You see, we as believers have been placed within the body of Christ, and within the body of Christ, there is no lone rangers there's nobody that says, well, you know what? I'm just going to kind of do my own thing, and they can do their own thing, and we're just going to live life that way. No, that is the wrong thinking. God has called us into unity together. You see, God desires that we are revealing his glory, and he does that not through necessarily this person doing this thing and this person doing that thing. He does it when the church is unified together and people from all walks abouts of groups, people from different backgrounds are coming together and they are united together for one purpose and that is for the revealing of God's glory. And so we need to be living in unity. And so he wants to reveal uh, his glory. He wants to reveal his great power uh, through our feeble lives. And he does that through the church. And so this pathway, Paul argues here, 
begins by walking in a worthy manner of which we have been called. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So this means that we start putting down our competitiveness, that we put down our jealousies, our pride, and we take up a great love now and affections for those whom Christ died for. We need to begin now to start loving others and pursue unity. I know we have many excuses, but none of those things work. You see, if we are to love God, then we are to love those whom God loves. If we do not love those around us, the Bible's very clear in 1 John. It says that you do not love God. Because it says, how can you say that you love God, but yet you do not love your brother who you see and God who you do not see? So if you say you love God, but yet you hate your brother, you do not know the truth. You do not know God. And those are the words of scripture. Those are the words of God. And so if we as believers want to live in unity, we need to remember that God has called us into unity. So, but what exactly is our calling to? Yes, we are called to unity, but to what extent? Listen to this word, what Paul says, or look what it says here in Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. He urges us. That shows us that this was heavy on Paul's heart. It was heavy upon his mind. He knew what we could become in Christ. I mean, he just spent Ephesians 1 through 3 talking about all these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ and how Christ has blessed us beyond all measure. And he says, I am urging you, I'm urging you to walk in unity, to walk in the thing which you've been called to. But I believe also Paul knew that believers distanced themselves from God's promises. And I believe that is so true in our Christian life that many times we distance ourselves from other Christians. We distance ourselves from God's word. We, we, we distance ourselves from God's promises. And we are not walking in unity with God. We're reminded of Jesus' prayer to his father just before he went to the cross. Listen to what G John chapter 17, 11 says. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And he continues his prayer in verses 21 through 22. Listen to what he says. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. We are called to unity with Christ. That's what Paul says, don't, don't forget, remember the calling which you've been called to, that we are called to be united with Christ. You see, Christ died so that we might have unity. 
If you are not a believer in Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, Christ died on the cross for you. He took your sins so that you might have unity with God. And so Christ came and brought unity. He reconciled us to God through the death on the cross. We must maintain this unity with the Lord. That's why Paul says, I urge you, I urge you. You see, as we draw closer to Christ in our relationship with him, his love will fill us. Remember what Paul prayed there in Ephesians 3 about being rooted and grounded in that love? Because as we draw closer to Christ, his love fills us. And in return, I will pursue unity with other believers. So do you find harmony or tension in your relationships with others? I mean, right now, in your, in your relationships in life with other believers, do you find harmony or is there tension? Do you enjoy those relationships with other people? Why or why not? Was it always like this? You see, we should be pursuing the unity with the Lord and then seek to reconcile all the other relationships in our life. So if we're going to have unity as believers, if we're going to fulfill God's command of walking in unity, then we need to remember the calling to which we've been called. And God has called us to himself. He's called us to Christ because he's brought unity in our life and we need to have unity with others. But here's the second thing I want to show you. So how are we to walk in unity we need to be, remember that calling that Christ has called us to. But secondly, follow God's design. Follow God's design. Look what he says here, verse number two. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. If we are going to have unity... We need to follow God's design. I remember a story of two old Quakers who were chatting. The one said to the other, you know, sometimes I think that everyone in the world is a bit off except for me and thee. And sometimes I wonder about thee. You know, we smile at that because we recognize in ourselves that we are all prone to think that I alone can see things clearly, that I alone am the only one that has everything right, and everybody else is a bit off. I wonder how people could be so blind to the truth, and I'm the only one that can see things clearly. You know, as one person put it, you know, it's just like magic. When you live by yourself, all of your annoying habits are gone. For those of us who are married, you know that you came into the marriage with certain expectations, your spouse came into the marriage with certain expectations, and after a few months of living on love, you finally realize and you go, hey, what you're doing really annoys me. Stop it. And then we expect as, as a church that we come together with your expectations and their expectations 
and then we wonder why there's so much disunity, it's because we're people and we're fallen human beings. That's why Paul says, I want you to follow this pattern to have unity. And what is that pattern, Paul? Look what he says. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. If we want unity, we need to follow God's design. You see, a worthy walk of what he says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. If we want to have that worthy walk in our life of, humil- of, of unity, then we need to have humility, we need to have gentleness, we need to have patience, we need to have forbearance, and we need to have love. All of these are relational words. They have to do with relationships. You see, from chapters 4 through 6, this is all the practical stuff. Paul is going to deal with all of the relationships in our lives. He's going to talk about husband and wife. He's going to talk about children and and their parents. He's going to talk about these relationships within the church and how we need to be relating to one another in unity. And so this is exactly what Christ taught Christ taught us about gentleness. Christ taught us about love. Christ taught us about patience and forbearance. He taught us about humility. And so the greatest command, remember what Jesus said, the greatest command is to love God. And he says the other part of that is to love others. He says on these two commands hang all of the law and the prophets. So if we're not fulfilling those simple commands of loving God and loving others, guess what? We are not walking in unity. So if we want unity, we must use these words. We must use this design. We must use this pattern of what God sets forth here to have unity. Let's take a look at each one of these. First of all, he says humility. Paul says all humility and gentleness. That's showing us that we cannot be half-hearted about it. Humility is literally lowliness in mind. It is, of course, the opposite of pride. And we all should know that pride is at the very root of every sin. You see, having humility is recognizing that all that you are and all that you have is only because of God's grace alone. That's it. I am what I am, not because of what I've made myself into be, but because of Jesus Christ and his grace that he's extended. Listen to what Philippians 2, 3 says. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Boy, that's exactly the opposite of what we see so many times in the world today. We were out at the uh, Freedom Fest at uh, Gene and uh, Cindy's house watching the fireworks in their backyard. We got out on the road there. We're going to turn on 15, and there's a steady stream of traffic coming there on 15. There's some guy behind me honking his horn. Pull out, pull out, pull out. Hurry, hurry, hurry. What did he want us to do? Go through sheet metal? People are so impatient. And humility says, you know what? I'm going to treat others as more important than myself. 
Listen to what Colossians 3.12 says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Peter 5.5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if we want to have unity in our relationships, we want to have unity within the church, it begins by recognizing that, hey, I need to be having humility in my life. Look at this second word that he uses. He uses gentleness. This has the idea of strength under control. It pictures a person who controls his temper and does not relate or seek revenge. A good picture of this would be that of a tame horse. Here's a giant animal with such strength, and yet... It is so gentle that even a child could go up and pet it. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus used both humility and gentleness to describe himself. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, Je Jesus was very tender with the bruised and broken soul, but very strong and forceful with the proud, self-righteous Pharisees. And if we are going to have unity, we need to have gentleness in our life. Look at this, listen to this word, next word here. He says, patience. The word literally means long-tempered. It is the opposite of a person with a short fuse. God is very patient with us, very patient with us. Listen to what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. He says, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If you are lost without Christ, God is being patient towards you. He desires for you to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. And he is being patient. The Bible tells us if it had not been for the mercies of God. It says that his mercy renews day by day, every morning. Can you imagine if God's mercy is not being renewed, if he's not being patient with us? What would happen to us? In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it is the first listed quality of love as being patient. Listen to what he says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. To have unity in our relationships, we must have patience. We must be patient with others. Then he says this. So he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Then he says this phrase, bearing with one another. This is an interesting one. This is simply forbearance. And it means bearing with someone's shortcomings or quirks. Not overlooking sin, 
or doctrinal error, but it means giving the other person room to be different in non-moral areas. I think one of the hardest things that I've struggled with in my marriage is that I want my wife to do exactly the things that I do, exactly the way that I do them. You ever struggle with that? But when we are forbearing with other people, we are overlooking the way that they do things or the way that they handle certain situations. And we're forbearing with them. We're patient with them. You see, pride makes us think anyone with half a brain could see that my way is the best way to do this. But forbearance says, that's not my preference, but it's okay. We need to be forbearing with one another. Then he says this, that we need to be forbearing, bearing with one another in love. So don't just bear one another. Don't just put up with their little quirks. But Paul says we need to do it in love. You see, love seeks the highest good of the other person. This makes all the difference in unity. You see, if you see someone doing something that will lead to spiritual harm, then yes, love then requires action for you to seek out the right time, the right opportunity. You're forbearing with them in love to talk to them, to point them in the right direction. That's what he's talking about. So if we see in our relationships, the people, they're starting to drift off. And we say, man, you know what? I want to talk to that person. I want to help them. You're doing it in love. You're not going over there and just bow. That's not love. That's not forbearing. So if we want unity, we need to forbear with one another in love. You see, this makes all the difference in unity. When we seek out the best in people, love cares enough to try to help people. Forbearing means that you will try to help people and help them become the best that they can become in Christ. That's unity. And we see a third thing here, what Paul talks about, how to walk in unity. Listen to what he says here in verse number three. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We need to be eager to maintain unity. We need to maintain unity. How eager are you? Other translations here read it this way about making every effort to stay in peace or to stay in unity with one another, keeping up the maintenance on it. So if we want to have unity in our relationships, we need to be eager, actively pursuing unity in our life. This verse is suggesting that we make haste to not allow disunity to fester. Listen to what Romans 14, 9 says. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for building up one another. 
pursuing it, pursuing unity. You see, we as believers must work diligently, eagerly to maintain the peace. Harmonious relationships in our homes and in the church will not automatically happen. You have to pursue it. You have to go after it. You have to work at it. You have to make effort at it to pursue unity, to have unity within our relationships. You know, sometimes at some point your feelings will get hurt. It's going to happen. Sometimes by the people whom you love and trust the most, your feelings will get hurt. So what do you do? Well, you know what? I forget about those people. I'm just going to go do my own thing. Guess what? You are not living in unity. You have to pursue unity. There will be disagreements, sometimes over difficult issues. There will be personality clashes when someone gets on your nerves. There will be different preferences, sometimes over minor matters, but sometimes over important things as well. If I decide we're going to paint the inside of the building here neon green, Amen. all right, I'm glad we're in unity. No, we're not going to paint it neon green. Some of you just woke up and you're going, he's doing what? Neon green? What? But we need to pursue unity. There has to be that unity there. So to resolve all of these problems in our life and relationships, how do we resolve it? What Paul says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now this is so important. Why is maintaining the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace so important? Because that's exactly what God does in our life. Sometimes I believe that in our relationships, we get hurt, where feelings get hurt. People, people are, are, are sometimes very... mean. They're very rude. And they say things and they do things and we hurt each other. And sometimes we take up those feelings almost as a banner or something that we want to wear as a badge of honor and say, look what they did to me. But this is what we fail to miss as believers in Christ. When Jesus went to the cross he was beaten, he was scourged, he was mocked, he was spit upon. And he did all of that because of our sin to him. None of us has ever been mistreated as badly as Jesus was. And so we need to maintain the unity because the Spirit of God has resurrected us to new life in Christ and He's made us alive in Jesus and we have a new relationship with Him. We have that new life in Him and we need to maintain that spirit of unity 
that we have with the Father and have the same relationships with others. So are you eager to maintaining the unity in your life? Let's pray together.